Buongiorno and welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. Can you say that again in English? <laughs> uh, I forgot how to translate that, but my name is Dr. Ken. And I'm Randy Baker. And we've done it again, Dr. Kent. We've gone somewhere interesting to speak to somebody very interesting. We've gone all the way to Long Island. And it is a long island. It is a very long island. But is it very wide? Nope. No. But anyway, we're going <laughs> there to speak to Steve Ramorini. Ramorini? Yeah, Steve Ramorini, who's been around for a long time. But my favorite part of this interview was... Uh, the cowboy part. I'm, my favorite part was that he's a recovering accountant. Now, I was <laughs> going to talk about Monty Python and lion tamers, but I neglected to do that because what Steve had to say was far too interesting. So I didn't want to sidetrack him. So I, I suppose people should then Google Monty Python lion tamers and, and watch what comes up? Yeah, absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's very entertaining. And it tells you far more about accountants than I could ever tell you. So this is our really enlightening interview about startups, money, Long Island, family, all kinds of things. Cowboys. We even talk about Montana and cowboys. It's crazy. Here's Steve Ramarine. Nice to talk with you, Steve. So I used to live down the street from you there, kind of. Where are you calling in from today? I'm calling in from Huntington, uh, which is on the western edge of Suffolk County in Long Island. I was a Suffolk County guy. I went to Stony Brook for my uh, doctoral degree and love it up there. I think there are most things to love, a couple things to hate, traffic. Yeah. Isn't, isn't is so great. still hateful, yes. <laughs> yeah, especially if it's raining or something, you know, then it gets mm. really nuts, yeah. So give us a little background on what you've done in your career, because you've, you've taken kind of an interesting route towards the work you're doing now. Sure. So in, in, when I graduated from college with an accounting degree, a lot of people were saying, well, you know, start work for an accounting firm because that's your track. You're going to be, you know, CPA and whatnot. And I had run a business throughout college and worked 40 hours a week throughout college. So when I started interviewing with some of the accounting firms, they were like, you know, we think you're going to be bored because we're going to have you doing like audit of receivables, audit of inventory. You're not going to be doing a lot for the first two years until you, you know, finish the exam and et cetera. So I took the advice of a recruiting firm that I was uh, steered to for career advice. And they said, basically, why don't you go through a bank training program? At the very worst, you'll you'll get a good year of training and it'll look good on your resume. And at the very best, you might find that you kind of like it. And that's what I did. And I wound up staying in banking for the better part of 17 years. And uh, I was working at a bank at the time. It was the third bank in a row I was working at that was in the process of being acquired. And it, it just seemed that every time a bank came in and acquired the bank I was at, you know, we, we didn't know anything. They knew everything. They were much smarter than us. And so I, I just decided I'd had enough of that and uh, left banking and started doing some consulting work, actually helped establish uh, a de novo office for a major bank here on Long Island. 
And then uh, I got a call from uh, one of my former uh, supervisors who said, you know, why don't you come work at an accounting firm and we'll put you in charge of consulting on a contract. So I did that for a couple of years until their, you know, direction on consulting became selling software. And I had worked at a computer company for a couple of years and took them from about 28 million to 45 million in revenues. And I decided I'm, I'm not really interested in selling software. So I went back into consulting and I had been recommended by a client to a company called Tech and eventually wound up being affiliated with them and took over a fledgling group in 1999, which grew to about five groups and 67 uh, members of those groups in 2013 when I left that company and uh, formed Compel CEOs. About three years ago, my youngest daughter uh, joined the company, and she followed kind of the same route that I did from banking. And now uh, she runs our launch program, which is for startup and early stage companies. She's very involved with our next gen ownership company, which uh, uh, next gen ownership group, I should say, which targets sons and daughters of business owners who are coming into the family business looking to either change the direction or help sell it down the road. So she's been an integral part of this the last few years. And uh, I should also mention that when I started Compel, uh, all but one of my uh, group members came with me. And that's how I you know, kicked it off to a, to a great start. So that's, that's sort of like my, my journey to this point. So your journey, uh, Steve, is very similar to the journey that many accountants take. Um, I was an accountant. I did go down the, the big accounting firm route and spent 10 years with KPMG and a whole lot of years in entrepreneurial companies. Now I'm built a couple of businesses of my own. Now I'm helping other people build businesses. Um, it's very interesting that people in accounting end up often going down a consulting style path at the latter stages of their careers. What, if any, what benefit do you think you have from that early accounting knowledge and the early banking training? How does that translate into what you're doing today? So what I found was when I first started doing this work is that business owners were great at doing what they knew how to do. They were either great at making something or they were really great at selling something. But they didn't enter the business world. They didn't start their businesses from the perspective of, I want to have the best accounting department. I want to have the best IT department. I want to have the best HR department. They wanted to be the best at what they did, which was either selling products, delivering services, or manufacturing. So my background in accounting, and especially my background in banking and finance, really helped me get credibility and uh, some level of uh, stickiness, if you will, with the clientele, because I could easily go in and ask them questions about the performance of their company based upon typical ratios that a bank would look at, that an accounting firm would study and you know, point out problem areas. And so that background has immensely contributed to whatever success I've, in, I've enjoyed and uh, been able to share with my clients through the years. There's a great starting point. So Steve, I have to jump in there and then we can bounce the ball back to Randy because you and he occupy a similar world of kind of that the mind space that connects uh, financial things to business things. So 
what I'm most curious about is the stories. So way back when things started for you as a little speck of a person, you know, age two, three, four, what did you want to be uh, growing up? What was, what, was, what was in the cards for you? So I, I wanted to be a lot of different things. I was enamored with Willie Mays. So I wanted to be a center fielder in baseball. And I love My dad baseball. still talks about the catch. My dad was at, yeah. in, apparently, was it in Chicago or something? I think my dad said he saw some, Willie Mays do something live. Yes, I think, I think it might have been at the polo grounds because the polo grounds in New York had a very deep, deep center field. It was even deeper than the old Yankee Stadium, which was like 460 feet. Wow. And uh, it was an amazing catch. After that, I, I wanted to be the captain of a ship. Uh, I wanted to be in the army. I wanted to live out west and, you know, be on a cattle ranch or a horse ranch. I wanted to be a lot of things. It wasn't until I got to high school. And obviously my parents were, oh, you got to be a doctor. You got to be a lawyer. Well, I, I really was not good with the sight of blood. So I don't think doctor was going to be in the cards. But I took an accounting class when I was a junior in high school, and I just took to it. And so at the advice of my business teachers, I majored in accounting in college. But I really think the, the fact that I worked full time and got to run a very small business, which had about a dozen employees, and at the time, in the late 70s, was doing probably, I would say, $2 million a year, which would be like a $10 million company today. That really sort of put me in the direction of, I want to run a business or I want to help businesses. You know, that's how I kind of got going. You know, I didn't know what accounting was in, in the old days uh, or in the early days, I should say. I, I um, didn't know much about business. I didn't know much really about what, what attorneys did, which seemed to be more appealing to me than, than doctors. But, uh, you know, when I started with that accounting program, that's really what kind of tipped the scales in that direction. And uh, so as I said earlier to Randy, it really helped in uh, the way I developed my career and, and how it, it all turned out and whatnot. So. so, Steve, if you think about your clients today, if you think about the people in your, um, in your masterminds, one of the things that I've always wondered about masterminds is how do you manage to actually get any value transmitted from one person to another because the assumption is that good advice has to come from people who know all the facts. So I presume the masterminds are structured to get to the facts of the person that has the problem. I would love to know how that works. So um, we have a process that we follow in the groups where uh, we share a lot of information. We also, you know, present issues or situations that are being encountered. Maybe it's an opportunity, maybe it's a challenge, similar to what uh, a business owner would present to their board if they were a public company. When we, when we have those opportunities to work on those issues, there's a free sharing amongst the members of the board. And then after, in the following months, et cetera, we will go back and have an accountability check on, on where those folks are. And I've been able to successfully take one person's opportunities and challenges and how they've overcome those challenges and, you know, use those opportunities to, you know, succeed and grow their businesses and expand. 
and apply them to other situations by referencing, you know, Joe from this board group experienced the same thing and this is what happened and I'll oftentimes then put them in contact with one another so they could have a direct conversation. So it happens in a couple of ways. It happens obviously in the board meetings on multiple times it'll happen because there's the first discussion of the opportunity, the issue, the problem, the situation, and then there's the follow-up to see, well, how did you make out? What other roadblocks have you hit? What other bumps in the road have you hit that are preventing you from completing either the opportunity or moving forward with the opportunity or handling and discharging the challenge that you've had? The second way is, is in our coaching sessions where things come up, things are revealed, and I can share the outcomes. And the third way is by putting someone who's experienced or has had to deal with that particular topic with another member who's now dealing with it. So let me let me dive back in, Steve. So the work you're doing on uh, with boards and with with folks who just need kind of a rudder in the water, the ability to kind of filter through that fire hose of information and advice and ideas and it's it's kind of insane you know people turn to google first for anything i me included uh, what do you see in terms of you know where you are in your career now and where things are going uh and how your work kind of is helping uh, push people in the right direction i think it's a good thing that we have a google and um if there was one bright spot out of the, the pandemic we've gone through and are continuing to go through is that there's more reliance now on virtual solutions or you know finding out through technology what might be available. So that's definitely helped connectivity with people and their issues and their opportunities and their challenges. It's, it's a faster response time. It beats you know having to get in a car and drive to someone uh, now that it, we seem fully comfortable with Zoom meetings etc. And it's far better. The Zooms are far better than, you know, phone conversation. So uh, that, that's, been, that's been a positive and that's been a way of, of growing. You know, I always ask people when they're talking to me about either a potential client or a potential vendor or, you know, one of their, one of their customers, you know, competitors, etc. that, you know, what research have you done? And, and I certainly Google makes it very easy to research and, and get information about individuals and companies and, and maybe, you know, a product that they're not aware of that they could use either in their business or possibly make part of their business. So it's, you know, we, we had a, the head of a very large medical organization, the largest employer in the state, actually. And I remember uh, one, one of the things that, that he said was, you know, before someone comes and speaks to one of my doctors, they've already consulted with Dr. Google. And I, I think that's that's helped the process along. We've had other speakers in on the sales process, and typically what they say is, you know, when someone reaches out to you, they've probably made the decision, is maybe 90% of the decision to, to do work with you because they've researched you on Google or by other means. So... I think it's sped up how business is conducted, and I think it will continue to do that as we move forward because people are becoming more and more comfortable with it. And certainly my members of my boards are experiencing this when they 
when they go to, you know, buy products or supplies or, you know, look up potential suppliers, they do their research before they, you know, make the phone call because they don't want to waste their time. And certainly the next wave and the, the present wave of workers coming in to these companies are all younger than 40 years old for the most part. And they're all very comfortable with technology and et cetera. So it, it has to be, you know, adopted. Uh, you don't really have another choice. You can't do things the way you used to do things. So I think it's a great way of moving forward. It's certainly a very fast and economical way of gathering information. And as we're seeing now with all of the SEO work that's being done, it's a great way of promoting your business to others. As, as one recovering accountant to another, I've, I've noticed that accountants tend to create businesses continually. They continually reinvent themselves, continually reinvent where they're going. It seems to be the nature of the beast that they have to continually do something. But we all get to the age, like me, where you know retirement is around the corner. I'm not ready for it. I've, I start something else. What's next for Steve Remarini? What, what's, what's the legacy? Where are you going? What are you hoping to achieve before the lights go out? Well, hopefully the lights won't go out for quite a while, but my daughter, Jamie, is being groomed to take over the business by someone that I had groomed to take over her family business. Um, her mom was in one of my board groups and uh, had had a very nasty split with her partner and wound up with half the company that they built together. And at the time, uh, this individual, her name is Fig, she was like 23 years old, and her mom said to her, you're going to join the group that I used to be in, and I'm going to join another board group where they have larger companies and you know, business owners who are more focused on strategy. And that was 18 years ago. She was 23 at the time. And she successfully grew back what the business was and then some. I think when she sold off the part of the business she doesn't, she didn't want, she was 20 times larger than when she took over the business. And that's why she runs our next gen program with, with Jamie. So she's Jamie's coach uh, because she's been there and done that. So that's sort of like the, the management ownership of the company. Uh, I have two other children. One is an airline pilot, and I don't think he has much interest. Uh, mainly because I, I can't guarantee him that in his off time, I'm going to send him off to an exotic getaway. And then I have an older daughter who at some point I hope does come into the business as well, because I, I sort of made myself a promise when she was born that I was going to help little girls get into business. There hadn't been a girl in my family for 50 years. And it was, just, I mean, everybody was ecstatic that we finally had a little girl born in the family. So I was, uh, it was a lot of fun in any event. For me, where, where, uh, where I see you know, my career going is I'm going to be doing more of the consulting, focusing more on the startup entry-level companies and those that are you know, focused 90 95% or more on strategy and ultimately an exit. Um, I'm also in the process of helping a very dear friend uh, get on some public boards so that's kind of my, I guess, if you want, uh, you know, riding off into the sunset is going to be working with more uh, early stage companies and companies that are close to or starting to plan for, for their exits. So one of the things that I've noticed is that different to 
20 or 30 years ago, um, a lot of people are in the startup world of building building a company to sell it and not building it to create a, a business. Are you seeing that or have you had a different experience? Yes, I, I often find myself asking those business owners when I meet them, you know, what level are they at in terms of seriously building a business or is this just a hobby of theirs? And, and even, you know, my first meeting with them, I will, I will try and determine in my mind if they're like every other hobbyist that has, you know, been introduced to me who's really not developing a business. They're just pursuing a, a passion or a cause. And there's nothing wrong with pursuing your passion or a cause, but it tends a lot of times to be a hobby and not a real business. So you know, I try to weed them out because I really can't help them if they're just being a hobbyist. So it, it is out there for sure. And, you know, you'll see it as you start continually meeting with these business owners, this new uh, business owner. What is it that they want to do? Many of them come in and it's like, I've got the greatest product. I'm going to grow it to $50 million or $100 million and I'm going to sell it. Well, you know, the level of commitment that's needed to do something like that and the amount of sacrifice that you have to put in to do something like that, usually unless they've done it in some form prior to this, like it's not their first rodeo, they won't have any comprehension of what's involved. And so the, the role then that I, I play would, would be much different. Some of them are not going to like where they have to go or they'll, they'll be happy sort of like camping out. And, and you know, I, I've reached this level and I'm good. And others will continue on. And I mean, I, I always introduce or try to connect early stage companies with some of my other board members and clients who took a company from two people and 100 square feet to 40,000 square feet, 150 people and 75 million or so in sales over a 20 year period, let's say, uh, because that that person was the one who really was a serious entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can't beat experience. You can't beat somebody who has been there before and knows what is coming. So I think it's great that you do that. One of the other things that I've noticed is certainly here in, I'm in Austin, Texas. In, in Austin, they talk a lot about how easy it is to start a business these days because technology is inexpensive. You, you can get a website for virtually nothing. You can do it yourself. You can get mm -hmm. started. Just hustle and grind and do the work and you're going to make it. You can only fail if you never give up. What are your thoughts about the, the current societal or cultural thinking that failure is almost a badge of honor and that the only way you can fail is to give up? Well, uh, I, I do know that there are many people out there that believe success is a result of past failures. There, there, are, there are no overnight successes. They've probably toiled and made many mistakes along the way. And if you haven't made any mistakes, you're probably not pushing yourself or your company to be the best it can be. So giving up is truly the, the ultimate failure. We, we had a speaker in many years ago <clears throat> who said, you know, he worked with Fortune 500 companies throughout his career. But what he admired most was middle market companies and small companies 
their ability to, you know, get knocked down almost every day and get back up off the canvas. And, you know, those that, that don't, that is the true failure. So I, I think it's a very valid position that you just mentioned, Randy. What is the, in, in your experience, and I'm thinking about um, both your launch clients and your mastermind clients, what is the biggest challenge that they're facing now as they're looking forward to uh, a post-pandemic revival in the economy, hopefully, with all the supply chain challenges that we're currently having, where, where is their biggest issue? What do they need the most help with? Well, I think there's, there's two issues, really. One you mentioned is a supply chain, but the other issue that many of my clients face, and it doesn't matter whether you're big or small, is on the labor front. I mean, recently there's been articles about, you know, people who just are quitting their jobs. I think in August we had the highest you know, resignation rate we've had in many, many, many years because they believe they're going to be able to get more money someplace else. Or uh, I've also encountered people that, you know, came back into the workforce temporarily and then went back out on unemployment. And I think a lot, many of my clients are experiencing the same challenge. So, you know, I've had some really creative, I've been exposed to some really creative ideas, whether it being, you know, I can't get a full container or I can't get a container. So they'll split their shipment up into, you know, multiple tranches and put it in different containers. They ship it to different ports over ordering so that they, they have inventory when maybe their competitors won't have inventory. In, in terms of, you know, finding workers, they're going to um, temp to perm agencies. They're going to other agencies that might specialize in, you know, try them and then hire them type arrangements. So those are the two main is, is you know, issues with the supply chain and issues with labor and, and try to persuade them to think outside the box, think disruptively to themselves before someone else comes along and finds a better, faster way of doing things. And that's really the best defense you have is if you, you get up every day and you say, okay, how can I disrupt myself today? What can I do differently than what I did yesterday to try and stay ahead? And certainly with the supply chain and with the labor, uh, you have to be creative if you're going to succeed and overcome those challenges. So Steve, it's really amazing to hear your you know thought leadership on all of these subjects. I'm curious if your sort of childhood desire to kind of be a cowboy or something else, you know, rough and tumble, if that's sort of been satisfied or are you, are you uh, aiming in a different correction, uh, in a different direction with the next part of your career? You know, I, I think there's always been this desire to see what it's like in a less congested area, like out West someplace in Montana, or Wyoming. So I, I, I would, you know, maybe, spend some time out there as I go forward. I mean, certainly with the way we can connect now through the internet from a coaching perspective or even from a group meeting perspective, a board meeting perspective, that all can be done. I am trying to sort of be a trailblazer, if you will. When I was employed by an accounting firm, probably now that, back then that firm was probably number nine or 10 when there was a big eight. It's probably number six now they had this idea of establishing a consulting practice. 
And they asked me to come in and help them do that uh, until obviously they decided to go off into technology. But it was, uh, it was initially was to help firms recruit the right people, uh, put together strategy and marketing plans and, and sometimes operating plans. And uh, I knew eventually I'd get back to that. So we just entered into an agreement with a major regional accounting firm to give them the opportunity to enhance their management services. You know, the, the accounting firms typically were audit and uh, accreditation and tax. And I guess it started back when Arthur Anderson formed a consulting group. If you look at the top four now, they get a majority of their revenue from non-audit services. And that's a trend. And so we're looking at that strategy. And that might wind up being like where I'll spend most of my time is putting together these white label programs where we come in and we help them run board-like groups for their clients. And that will generate more management advisory service income for that, that particular firm. So that, that may be, you know, taking a concept and running with it. I, I had a little bit of an introduction to that when I was ending my banking career, when I, I put together and helped put together an action plan and a business plan for a startup bank in, in this, you know, region. And uh, that sort of gave me the, the taste of what it would be like to help build something for someone else. So that's another area that I think I'll be transitioning into as we continue the move to the next generation of ownership at, uh, at Compel. So clearly it's been in me since I was a little kid to do something out there, a little different. Um, yeah, I, I talk often about um, that entrepreneurial spirit. Once it gets a hold of you, it, it doesn't easily let go. So uh, I suspect you'll be doing this for many years to come. So, Steve, we've run out of time. But before we go, I'd love you to tell me who you would like to work with right now. Who would you love if they picked up the phone and said, Steve, I want to work with you? And how can that person contact you? This, is, this may be a little bit of out of left field, but many of my members admire Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. And I would say if, if either he or Sir Branson called me on the phone, I would jump at the opportunity because I think that they are so forward in their thinking. Uh, they're thinking out a hundred years. They're not thinking out, you know, a hundred weeks. So if they, if they need to reach out, my phone number is 516-551-5093. Our website is www.compelceos.com. And, and I'd love to work with anybody else who, you know, is a true entrepreneur or is having questions as to what their transition or what their next life is going to be like. Uh, because for most people and most business owners, when they get to a certain stage, the road ahead is far shorter than the road behind. And that can be a challenge to a lot of people. And I'm in the same boat. I'm, I'm going to be able to get on Medicare in a few months. So uh, we're all going in the same direction now. Oh, I get those letters. I, I get those letters in the mail every day saying, you know, you got to recheck your Medicare because it's renewals coming up in October. Um, so I, I had the I had the pleasure of working with Elon some years ago. Um, I've met both Elon and Sir Richard. So, guys, if you're listening, 
um, Steve would love to have a chat with you. So give him a call. Thank you. Thank you very much for that, Randy. And, and Ken, thank you very much as well. It's been a great honor to be here and uh, enjoyed it immensely. It's been really fun to speak. Thanks for, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Steve. I particularly enjoyed our conversation today and especially the part where we talked about Google and the impact Google can have and how it's good to Google stuff first. It's good to get educated before you speak to the experts. It's good to know what you're doing and Google has made that so much easier. I'm one of those geeks, uh, Randy, I don't know about you, but I'm one of those geeks who knew what a Google was, uh, spelled correctly, of course, Google and the Googleplex. Before I know Google. exactly what that is. Yes. Yeah, like, I mean... It's, it's a one with a number of zeros after it. Yeah, like, it's a great term that Google just ruined yeah. for the world. I mean, yeah. that, that wonderful word has now been uh, ruined and turned into a verb. It's it's just... Yeah. just uh, <laughs> It was a great word, Google. So I challenge our visitors to tell us how many zeros there should be. Now, the trick for me is I don't quite know if it's one number or the other number because if it counts the one or doesn't count the one that's that's where i get oh it, tripped it up. does not count the one. Oh wow now see that's interesting yeah well so users listen users listeners i guess you're listeners. users of this podcast you, you need your hit so i'm very confused now because users and listeners look guys just go to thoughtpartnergroup.com there's a free assessment there there's not a Google of questions, but there are five or six. So you might like to just answer those and we'll get back to you with our, our thoughts. Now, now I appreciate that you used the correct word Google in a sentence, but I think you might've used it incorrectly because you said, uh, Google. A Google, yeah, that should be. Now, but, but you might be right. So listeners, figure out whether randy is right or wrong on that and after you're done with that go to crazymba.com where there's google's things to do <laughs>